Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and all that goes into it, uh, understanding it, building it, selling it, pricing it, and marketing it. Today, I'm thrilled to have a really uh, a great national, I recognize speaker, a consultant, uh, Arjun Sen. Arjun, welcome. It's such a pleasure, Mark, to be on your show. Truly a pleasure. That's great. And uh, so Arjun is, um, he currently, the, the, his consulting firm is called Zen Mango, but Arjun has a really great history. He, he's been in uh, consumer products for a long time, uh, marketing for uh, Papa John's, and, and he has a client list that's a who's who of brands that you've heard of. Uh, so I couldn't be more thrilled to, to have you here, Arjun. Truly a pleasure, Mark. Thank you. So... Um, as I was kind of looking through some of your, some of your your history and some of your clients, um, I saw just some really interesting crossover. And one of the the, the stories you tell on your website is uh, how you turned a phone hold time into a billion dollar solution. Can you um, tell that story, that anecdote for our listeners? Yeah, so first of all, I just have to take you back to the year 1997. We still used to use this thing called a landline telephone to order pizza. And believe it or not, those days on a Friday or a Saturday, it took 45 to 50 minutes to place an order for pizza. I remember. And the worst thing was, if you got dropped, you go back and start all over again. So... Oh. The same facts were in front of Pizza Hut, Domino's, Papa John's. Some of the other brands tried to do a national 1-800 number to reduce it by 10%, like 45 minute wait or 40, I don't know whether it was a big deal. Some even tried to put an amazing on-hold tip. Okay. <laughs> For us, what changed was we drew a picture of a customer which is this tiny and a picture of the order taker which is large. And once we put it in front of everybody in senior management, we said, guys, no business can sustain with this kind of an imbalance of power. We really wanted to go all the way. And that all the way pushed us to find out how do we eradicate the problem, not reduce. And that's the way online ordering came as a customer solution, not a technology solution to deliver on that. I, I think... You, you, you talk about it in terms of uh, solving a problem, um, but in, in, through my value-oriented goggles, um, I'm thinking that the value of that pizza dinner isn't the calling and isn't the pizza, it's the experience. Absolutely. And you can deliver a lot of value to a customer by taking... Uh, a lot of pain out of the, the out of the total experience. Absolutely, and you know what I love, Mark, is the beautifully you put that. Is to me again on the consumer side, I look at value to have a numerator and a denominator. 
what you just showed me right there brilliantly, which was, I was not seeing all the pieces, thanks for adding that, is the time of 45 minutes and the uncertainty on the numerator was really hitting the value hard negatively. And yeah, so we literally solved a big value problem. So that was a great, you know, great insight from you. Thank yeah, you. that's great. Uh, I'm, I'm also, uh, I, when I talk in, in other interviews, um, we're, we're doing this interview, for those of you who are listening later, uh, we're doing this interview just as the world is starting to open up after COVID-19. And so we're, we're all trying to figure out um, how to come out. But for two months now, we've been trying to figure out how did your value change? And uh, some companies value changed. Like if you were a U.S. manufacturer, um, your value of being of having a shorter uh, logistics supply chain uh, was almost a non-issue before, and now it is. Um, but one of the other stories I tell is uh, Pizza Hut, mm-hmm. and they started advertising contactless delivery. Tell tell us all how much Pizza Hut's process of of making, manufacturing, cooking, and delivering a pizza had to change when they in- implemented contactless delivery. So to me, I think there was two parts to this. One is, of course, the branding part and getting in front to assure so people try. But then at every point, they had to deliver because in unlike any other times, customers are now, especially in this area of safety, they really want to dig deep and see every details. So the brand literally had to go in and actually change. It was not a marketing campaign. And even though Domino's, Papa John's came right after, but Pizza Hut, I think, initiated the whole thing. But the value was created operationally and then communicated through marketing. You know, I thought that there was no operational change because that pizza is too darn hot to touch when it comes out of the oven. And from a time and motion standpoint, you want to put a peel underneath it and drop it right into the box and cut it in the box, which was always a no-touch operation. And yes. so I thought that um, their operations didn't change much, but they realized that they had value that they were offering, that they had to finally, that there came a reason to articulate. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. But again, you know, many a time in the customer space, perception is reality. Yeah. For me, even though you are smart because you are dealing with the industry and you see that, if I did not know much and I walked in and saw a Pizza Hut employee touching boxes without without gloves, Ah. wearing masks. So to me, I really think that a lot of, they had to make sure that the perception of contactless was to communicate, it is safe for you to order freely. So you're totally right about core operation, did not have to change, but they had to at every touch point add those cues, which literally are telling the mind, check, see, see what I'm doing. And that means what more am I doing that you don't see to assure you? Yeah, I think, I think it was brilliant marketing on the part of everybody to realize that maybe a, a couple small changes, right? Have gloves on while you're handling the pizza cutter and, and folding your boxes. And um, 
maybe gloves while you're uh, walking up and doing the delivery, but the core operation, um, they could make those changes very quickly okay. because somebody was bright enough to realize that that was a value driver that they could um, really take, take advantage of and leverage with a minimum interruption to the business. Okay. Uh, brilliant. So tell us what some of the other things you do with your clients are. So, you know, to me, I think, you know, you and I are literally two parts of the same puzzle. You start at the B2B level, I go from B to C. And every time I start, I really try to understand what is the need the customer has. Can the brand and only that brand solve that? Because only is where a long-term sustainable value proposition uh -huh. is. Otherwise, you become one of many in my life where I just rotate A, B, C, D. Yep. But just like in a relationship, when the value gets to a level where you feel the search stops here, you hate the dreaded, yes, the customer says the dreaded C word, commitment. And that's where loyalty starts. So yes. my goal is for every brand to help them first identify the customer pain points. What is the place where you can find the C word, the customer seeking, so the search stops there. And then how do you deliver? Because that's the part where another C word comes in, which is consistency. Because on the consumer side, you are not defined by what you do nine out of 10 times. It's the one time you are below the bar that defines you. It, it, seriously, it just reminds me of my mom, okay? My mom doesn't talk about the 500 times I was amazing as a kiddo. She remembers the two or three times I really screwed up. I'm like, come on, mom. And that's the same thing customers do is, so that's the reason to get to consistency on the consumer side. You really have to say, what will every guest get every time? And that has to be what nobody else can get. And that becomes the value which gets a long-term sustainable business. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, other people, I, I think we both know Jeffrey Hazlett, who, who says brand is the promise delivered. Mm -hmm. what, what the experience is and what it means to you. Um, one of the things that you had uh, on your website was uh, a, a moment during the haircut experience. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily the, it, it's partly the experience, but it's mostly how it makes you feel. Mm -hmm. um, and I love another one of the things you said is that what do you alone do? What do you uniquely do? Uh, and that is how it's sustainable. So I, uh, I preach back, preach endlessly that value is built off of differentiation. Mm -hmm. um, and without any differentiation, your value, as you said, you just rotate between A, B, C, um, and you're one of many. And you're, you're waiting uh, to see if there is a differential in the experience that makes you want to settle on one. Mm -hmm. 100%. Any thoughts? Yeah. So, you know, and that's the part where, again, I would love to know on your wisdom is the same thing I talked about differentiating on a consumer side, which was delivering on consistently, uniquely. How does that change to B2B world 
what does sort of brand do? Again, you know, it's an amazing opportunity to learn from the Mark Boundy, and I can't miss that. <laughs> is what can I do on a B2B world to get to a sustainable one and only value proposition? Um, there's a ton of things you can do, and it's amazing how a small, small difference can turn into a big difference for a customer. Uh, I made, um, early in my career, I was a product manager for wiring cable. Mm -hmm. And my cable went into a robotic device, and my cable had, it went into the bending part of the robotic device. So the cable had to bend along with that robotic arm. So the and so the cable actually would wear out before the robotic joints. And so um, there's a, a, a measurement parameter and, and a test called flex life. Mm -hmm. And I had a little bit more flex life than the next guy. But it went into this, this went into, uh, one of them went into a printer. This was a long time ago. The printers that were behind the, uh, the, uh, the counter at an airline ticket counter. Mm -hmm. And so it was printing your ticket when you checked in. Mm -hmm. Do you know what happens when that printer breaks down to the plane? Well, what happens? Nothing. Huh. <laughs> Until they can move the plane to a new date. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you've got a $100 million airplane that can't take off because a $10 piece of cable broke. Mm -hmm. So we used to say cable's cheap, trouble's expensive. Cables, cheap, troubles, I love that, I love that. And um, so a small difference in the performance, if you could walk the customer through the impacts of that, it's not, I will pay 10% more because your cable lasts 10% longer. It's because you bought me out of tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And what would happen when one of those printers broke was that the manufacturer had to send a service person with a replacement cable under his arm, put them on a plane and fly them out to the airport where that printer was down wow. to replace it. Wow. So, and, and so you're buying an, an airfare at the last second. So you know how expensive that is and you're, and you're the round trip for that is thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, and of course then there's a, a contest of who supports that better you know, mm -hmm. you or the other guy, uh, the other printer manufacturer. And so they they had to compete on customer service when they couldn't compete on performance. And it ends up rolling up into something big and expensive. Um, a tiny test on a hospital, a little test strip that tests your coagulation in your blood if you're, you know, a hemophiliac. Mm -hmm. um, if one of those things is out of, if, if you make a batch of that that's out of spec and gives an improper reading, um, it's not just purchasing that has to replace all those bad things. You, you actually have to go out to patients. You mm -hmm. have to have a script. You have to um, reschedule patients, retest patients. Legal has to look at those scripts. Uh, <laughs> and uh, everybody has to be trained. And then billing and patient records have to uh, test them for free so that you can charge them back to the manufacturer. It's one tiny strip that costs a few cents. If it's bad the world caves in and it's only a few salesmen. It's the elite salespeople who can walk the customer through what happens when this isn't as reliable. 
So a small difference can make a big difference in the value. Um, and of course, then there's a lot of the personal value as well. Mm -hmm. And it, going back to what we said earlier, it's all about what you do differently. And tiny differences can make huge impacts to a customer. The big learning for me, what you just said is, in the B2B world, it's not the value of that cable, but understanding how much it costs, not dollar, but also other areas too, when it fails. So if I was selling three of these cables together at a price and sold them as assured, like some kind of, a, you know, so I, I could charge so much more per cable based on what you're just telling me. If I sold three or four of them at the same time, so I got product, like literally I helped you carry an inventory to show you the value. But you know, that's an amazing learning. Yeah. Um, it's understanding customer value in the B2B world um, goes to a skill that's very rare in B2B salespeople. And that is understanding the customer's business so well that you can uncover all of those little nuances. So I had a cable that um, wore longer, but it was also happens to be, it wore longer partly because it was a little bit stiffer. And so it never kinked in that flex. And because it was stiffer, you, it went into one of these little caterpillar tracks. And so, you, and so you didn't need as strong a caterpillar track. And those were 10 cents a foot cheaper, the ones that you could use. And it also happened to be that they were easier to put the cable in and out of, which saved uh, $16 in labor during the installation process. And um, the, the reduced amount of downtime for the customer was worth this much. And so every single one of those tentacles from mm -hmm. just having your cable last longer, there was tentacles of that benefit that went all through the company. And so my, my world is helping salespeople understand the customer's business so you know where to look for tentacles. Yeah, I love this because to me, what you just showed me is one of the things which I always find very important in a leader is a Zoom. You are seeing, like you are this most amazing lens on one side, you can zoom at the whole business, but the next second you can go into every micro piece and have this unique, maybe one in a billion ability to see how that piece impacts. Because to me, that I think makes you, the Mark Boundy is that you have, no seriously, you have that vision. Anybody else is selling parts, but you are selling connectivity of every micro piece and it's how you see makes you unique. So, well, thank you. Thank you, Arjun. That, that's nice, but I'm going to push back. Uh, mm -hmm. I, when I was at W.L. Gore and Associates, my first job, one of my first jobs out of college, there was a whole sales force of 70, the entire sales force of 70, 75 salespeople, all were pushed to do that. Mm -hmm. It is actually possible to build a sales force of insightful advisor salespeople who aren't just selling parts. Um, I have, I have seen hundreds of sales forces since then, mm -hmm. and I can count on one hand the number of sales forces who match that 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will acknowledge that it's rare, but those salespeople were great salespeople, our friendships to this day, um, but they weren't any better, any smarter than other sales forces I've run across. They just had that training. They had the expectation that it's unacceptable not to know your customer's business and not to know how our product builds your customer business. Our product builds your customers. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I, my book, uh, the radical value used to be called the value multiplier, which was the idea was when you add to your customer's business, they will multiply back to yours. Mm-hmm. Love because that. because it's true. Um, you, and you, even in your consumer world, right? When a, when a customer decides they love your service, they will multiply your, the benefits back to you as the consumer brand. Yep, totally. And that's just, that is becoming the new media in the consumer side is the most credible media is unsolicited what the customer writes, either the buzz, or the yell on Yelp. And the word, the world of scream and tell where you can bulldoze your way through media dollars is nearly gone. And me being an aerospace engineer, this is the only part of aerospace engineering that I use is every plane doesn't have to take off. But if it takes off, it has to land at the right place safely. And in the consumer world, I connected by saying, we are all in the feeling business, which means every message, everything we do, it's not just an experience. Experience is a checklist. Feelings are what lands in the heart of the customer. And that exactly what you're talking about. If the customer feels it, then they get into a must share moment. And that is the most priceless advertising that you cannot ever buy. Absolutely. There's, there's a couple places. Somebody was asking me the other day, do I think specialty retail survive? And of course I'm not a retail analyst. I don't know, but I said, here's one thing I do know is that the specialty retailers that provide an experience or provide value have the best shot of surviving. When I walk into an REI store, I become a different person. I become an outdoorsy, rugged, adventurous, brave, um, out, outdoorsy person. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of am, but when I walk through those doors, I become a different person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look on the things on display and say, man, that sounds like a cool thing for my bucket list. And they're doing that through merchandising and whatever else. But um, that feeling makes me very loyal to REI. Mm-hmm. And putting the right people, training, make them, you know, it's exactly, they're extracting that mark out of you who wants to play there. You are like the kid in a candy store. The moment we can get you to one, feel that, and for you to say, I want it. Like that, I want it is the deep feeling. Yep. All those experiences, elements that they put together have to work together to create that. Yeah, and I don't know if, I don't know if, I suspect, or I don't know if an online retailer can replicate that as well. 
So I think that there's going to always be a place for some bricks and mortar retailers that make you feel that way. If it's a commodity that you just want to order online, um, very much so. But I, I think that there's going to be a place for businesses that make you feel something different. Okay. Okay. And for online retailers, the thing is we don't get connected. They provide a service, which means tomorrow, if somebody gives me super prime instead of next day, within six hours, gets me free instead of a prime charge, I will have no problem switching. Okay? Because that's the part of a commodity relationship is it's not search stops here, it's search pauses here till I get to the better option. Yeah, and I think Jeff Bezos knows that and that's why he, they continue to innovate relentlessly uh, and Im improve their operations. And uh, they have to be the one who wrings all the cost out of that service because they know that, that they live and die by their operational effectiveness. Yeah, and that's the reason they're coming with drones to everything to get to same day delivery. So that way they themselves want to compete with, like Amazon today wants to compete or Amazon tomorrow wants to compete with Amazon today. So they want to outpace each other. Yeah. Stay in business. Yeah. Man, what, uh, what a great conversation. Arjun, we should have more of these. Next time we get together at a C-suite event, um, we're going to have a glass of wine or something together. It'll totally be a pleasure because the B2B side, you know, it's, it's like what you taught me is I always thought that value was my term in the consumer side, but I never saw as you broke it down, what value is and how it gets to every piece of communication and sales. So it was an amazing learning experience and absolutely looking forward to that glass of wine. Yeah, and I, I hope we somehow get a chance to um, play in each other's markets, play, uh, work, work together. It would really be, it would be a lot of fun to learn from each other, shoulder Absolutely. to shoulder. Collaborate. We should collaborate on some projects. Absolutely. Well, Arjun, uh, why don't you tell people how they can get a hold of you? And um, I highly recommend Arjun and his consulting and his services. And I, I'd like to make sure that people can get a hold of you. So first of all, Mark, thank you again. Uh, the easiest and the best way to find me is LinkedIn. My name is Arjun, A-R-J-U-N. Last name is Sen, S-E-N. And my name of my company is Zen, Z-E-N, Zen, Mango, the fruit. And my email address is Arjun, A-R-J-U-N, at zenmango.com. Or just go to zenmango.com and you'll find me. And again, Mark, truly a pleasure to be on your amazing show. Thank you. Arjun, uh, for somebody as accomplished uh, a marketer and a thought leader in that space as you are, it's, it's been a real pleasure to have you here. So thank you so much. And thanks for joining, uh, joining me on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe that value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that your success as a marketer or a seller is all in your customer's head. Thanks and have a great day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value blues.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>